Thank you for listening to this sermon from Destination Church. We make all of our resources available because we hope that they have an enormous impact on your life and help you see how much you truly matter to Jesus and to our church. We love to hear stories about life change from every ministry in our church, and this is no exception. So if this ministry has impacted you in a big way, we encourage you to share your story with us by sending an email to hello at destinationchurch.cc. We would also encourage you to contribute financially to our vision. Find out how by going to destinationchurch.cc give. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. How are you guys doing today? You guys good? Excited? Ready to be here? Good deal. Well, hey, if you haven't met me, uh, my name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I am super excited and just honored to be bringing the message today. Um, Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Ricky. Uh, Today is his birthday, so he's turning 119 today, so make sure... Uh, Make sure you wish him a happy birthday, and then you can uh, buy lunch for him and his family and his staff as well. So just throwing that out there. If you brought a Bible with you today, if you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and go to the book of Joshua, chapter 3. We're going to kind of be all over the place in the beginning of this sermon, but eventually uh, we are going to land in the book of Joshua, chapter 3. I'll kind of help you to have it open in front of you so you can see I'm not just making stuff up. Um, It actually is in there. So Joshua, chapter 3 is where we're headed. Uh, While you're going there, let me sort of set up what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks in this series. Uh, last week, we moved into the movie theater officially, and uh, we're starting our practice services now, so this is what you're witnessing. And we started a brand new series that we called Get Ready. And sort of our heart behind the series um, is we're sitting around and we asked ourselves, you know, what, what do we want to give our team uh, the month before we launch? So on September the 7th, we're launching. So what, what do we want to give our team the month before we launch? And, uh, and we thought about it, and we were like, you know, uh, we've been working really hard. So whether you've been on our team for the whole uh, year and a half that we've been doing this, or maybe you just joined our team a few weeks ago, or maybe this is your first Sunday here with us, um, we've all been working uh, really hard, and you probably worked really hard to get here today. And so uh, we decided that what we wanted to do was to create a series to where our team could show up on a Sunday morning, uh, volunteer in whatever area they're volunteering in, come into the sanctuary or the theater, whatever we want to call it, sit back, relax, and be filled up. We wanted to fill you up spiritually throughout the series. And so we asked ourselves, how do you get filled up spiritually? And we recalled the verse uh, where Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. And so last week, Ricky did a great job talking about what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And now what we're doing throughout, throughout the next few weeks of this series is we're talking about three different characteristics of righteousness that we should be hungering and thirsting after if we want to be filled. And those three characteristics in order are faith, hope, and love. And so that means this week we are going to be talking about faith. Now, because faith is such an incredibly large category, there's about a trillion things that you could say about faith, I want to narrow that way, way, way down into one simple idea that I want to talk to you about today. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Um, This is the, the big idea that I want to communicate today, and it's this. How to live out your faith in the face of risk fear, and uncertainty. How to live out your faith in the face of fear and risk and uncertainty. And I want to title this sermon, Get Your Feet Wet. Get Your Feet Wet. Will you pray with me one more time, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to be up here, and um, 
God, I pray that you would help me to feel the weight of what I'm doing right now, God, that my words are simply vibrations of my vocal cords, but when they combine with your spirit, I know that it can change hearts, and I'm trusting you to do that throughout the sermon, and I pray for everyone here that you've got a reason that they're here, and, uh, and I pray that they will be changed through the words that you're going to speak through me today, and ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. How do we get more faith? How do we get more faith? That is a question that I hope all of us have asked ourselves at some point in our walk with Christ. We should want to know how to get more faith. And the only people who don't want more faith are people who don't know why they should want more faith. You see, if you want the Bible to open up to you in new and incredible ways, you want more faith. If you want to talk to God and your prayer life to be so much better than it's ever been, you want more faith. If you want to learn how to honor God more with your marriage and with your family and with your work and with your finances, you want more faith. If you want to see the divine intersect with the daily on a regular basis and you want to see God show up in your life in undeniable ways, you want more faith. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you want to please God at all with your life, and if you're not content with how much you're pleasing God right now, you want more faith. So we should want to know how to get more faith. Now, fortunately for us, uh, this is a question that Jesus was asked while he was on this earth. So people asked him, how do we get more faith? In fact, uh, it, was his, it was his 12 disciples that asked him this. And so that's very fortunate for us. Uh, unfortunately, Jesus didn't exactly give the answer that we would expect or that we would want him to give. You know, if I'm asking Jesus how to get more faith, I want like a 12-step program, right? Like give me something to do, you know, uh, read this much in your Bible and pray this many times and give this much and talk to this many people so I can know the, the when and the where and the why and the how I'm going to get more faith. Give me something to do. But that isn't exactly how Jesus answered the question. Check it out. In Luke chapter 17, you don't have to go there. We're just going to spend a few minutes there uh, reading this. And this is going to sort of lay the foundation for the rest of this sermon. Luke chapter 17, it should be up on the screen behind me, says this. Uh, verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord Jesus, show us how to increase our faith. So Jesus, we want more faith. Show us how to get more faith. Verse 6, it says, the Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. Right, that's it? Jesus, Jesus, we asked how to get more faith, man. I don't know if you, like, answered the wrong question. We're not trying to move trees around without our hands. We're not interested in gardening. We just, what are you talking about, trying to move trees? We just want to know how to get more faith. Like, why, why did Jesus answer the question in such a peculiar way? Why didn't he introduce his new book, 12 Steps to Growing Your Faith? And why did, we, why did he answer it this way? And here's why I think that he answered it this way. And this is um, a Bible study tip for you. Because there's a lot of times throughout the Gospels where Jesus is asked certain questions and he gives a pretty confusing answer. So here's, here's what I believe is going on here. Anytime Jesus is asked a question in the Bible, obviously he knows the answer to that question, right? Because he's Jesus. He, he knows everything. So he knows how to increase the disciples' faith. 
But not only does he know the answer to that question, he knows the deeper issue that's causing that question in the first place. So the question that they asked was just a surface issue. There was a deeper issue going on in their hearts, and when Jesus answers the question, he's actually addressing the deeper issue as well as the surface issue. And that's why it seems like his answer doesn't really fit with the question. Now, for these disciples in this situation, the reason that they wanted to know how to get more faith, the the deeper issue going on here was not simply that they wanted more faith. The deeper issue was that they weren't living out the faith that they had in the first place. And so when Jesus answers this question, he's basically saying, listen, you don't need to worry about how to get more faith. What you need to focus on is living out the faith that you've got, because if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could still do incredible things. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about how to get more faith. Focus on living out the faith that you've got. And as you steward that faith well, I'm going to bless you with more. You see, faith is a principle of stewardship, right? Stewardship is all throughout the Bible. We usually talk about it when it comes to, like, material possessions, right? To those who do well with what little they're, they're given, even more will be given to them. And so Jesus is saying, you might have a little bit of faith. You might have that mustard seed-sized faith. But as you do well with that, I'm going to bless you with more. And so the answer to how do we get more faith is to steward your faith well. Well, how do you steward your faith well? The book of James, chapter 2, verse 17, has this to say about faith. It says that faith by itself, if not accompanied by works, is dead. So faith without works is dead. That's a pretty common phrase in the Christian world. And so let, let me ask you this. If you kill something, are you a good steward of it? Right? If, you, if, if you've got a family friend and they go out of town and they leave you in charge of their dog and you're in charge of keeping their dog alive, basically, you've got to feed their dog and take care of their dog and you neglect their dog all week, right? You don't pay attention to it. You don't visit it. You don't think about it. They get home. Their dog's dead, okay, because you didn't feed it. Nobody's going to look at you and be like, dude, you did such a great job. Like, you stewarded that dog. So, right, you killed the dog, okay? If you kill something... You're not a very good steward of it. And so if we want to steward our faith well, the solution is don't kill your faith. And Jesus is saying, why would you expect me to give you more faith when you haven't lived out the faith that I've given you in the first place? And it's for that reason that I want to talk to you today about how to live out your faith in the face of fear and risk and uncertainty. And that leads us to Joshua chapter 3. Now, the book of Joshua is a book about war. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through this story um, in Joshua chapter 3 where the Israelites encounter a problem that caused them a lot of fear, a lot of risk, and a lot of uncertainty. And they lived out their faith, and we saw an incredible miracle produced from that. And we're going to see what we can learn. So basically, we're going to read about 11 verses in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to stop along the way, and I'm going to give you three points. And these are uh, three things to remember when living out your faith in the face of fear, risk, and uncertainty. And so that's where we're headed. If you're taking notes, you can go at number one, two, three. That's where we're headed today. So let me give you uh, a little bit of background on the book of Joshua and uh, and sort of cover uh, what it's all about. Um, The background behind the book of Joshua is this. You've got this people group, the Israelites, right? the Hebrews, the Jews. They go by a few different names, and they have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so one day, uh, God appears to this guy Moses and tells him, Moses, you're going to free my people from Egyptian slavery. So he tells him, you know, Moses, you need to go to Pharaoh and tell him to, oh, oh, let my people 
go, right, you guys got it. So go to Pharaoh, 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 oh, let my people go. So he does that, and uh, the, the Israelites escape from Egyptian captivity. They're finally free, and, and God is promising them, I'm going to lead you out of Egyptian captivity, and I'm going to take you into a land that I'm promising you, and he called it the promised land. Okay, real creative title there, right? So, so he's going to get, get them out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. So they're, they're, they're headed that way throughout the, the Old Testament, um, the first four books, and uh, they, they run into some trouble in the desert, so they're kind of stranded in the desert for 40 years. Maybe you know that story. Um, and then we pick it up in the book of Joshua. It's been 440 years that the Israelites have kind of been out on their own. A new leader has risen up after Moses, and his name is Joshua. That's the reason the book is called Joshua. And so um, the new leader rises up, and the time has finally come for the Israelites to enter into the promised land. And that's what the whole book of Joshua is about. It's about the Israelites entering into the promised land. Now, there's only one problem with that, and it's the problem that we encounter in Joshua chapter 3, and it's this. This is the whole predicament of this entire chapter. The Israelites have got to cross the Jordan River, and this is an impossible task, okay? It wasn't like nobody had ever crossed the Jordan River before. A few people had kind of gotten across it to go spy out the land, but this was different. Because never before had the entire nation of Israel, this is one million plus people, okay, someone estimate almost two million, it's a lot of people, and they've all got to get across this river with all of their things, okay, so we're talking cattle and sheep and, and goats and donkeys and grandmas and cats and dogs and tents and all this, so they've, got, they've all got to get across this river, and, and they're looking at this going, there's just no way. There's no way we're going to cross this thing. And not only that, to add to that, this is not a a calm, peaceful, shallow river, right? In one of the verses that we're about to read, we find that it's harvest season. So the river is flooding at its banks. So this is not a calm, peaceful river. This is a roaring, raging, deadly, dangerous river that if you put your foot in it, you're going to get swept away and it's all over for you. So the beginning of the book of Joshua, chapter 3, We see the Israelites, they're approaching this river. It's kind of clicking in their head. There's no way we're going to get across this thing. And so in the first five verses of chapter 3, we see they're kind of camping out, just sort of waiting to see what God is going to do. And uh, we are going to pick up the story in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 6. God has given some instructions to Joshua, and we have him relaying the instructions to the Israelites. So here's what it says. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Okay, let's pause there. So God appears to Joshua, tells him, hey, we got to get moving. It's time to enter the promised land. Grab the priests, give them some instructions. We're going forward. And so Joshua is relaying these instructions to the priests. And this is a hugely significant verse. It's one of those things you just read over and you're like, okay, that makes sense. I get it. And you just kind of glance over. But we're going to spend a few minutes sort of unpacking this verse. And we're going to pull our first point out of this. So, so here's why this verse is huge. Um, if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, let me explain that for a minute because that's, that's really why this verse is significant. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was basically this big box, and it was um, plated with gold, and it had all these cool decorations on it, and, uh, and it was incredibly sacred to the Israelites, and uh, only the priests were allowed to carry this box. It had big poles in it. They couldn't even actually touch the box. If you touched it, you would die, and so they carried it over their shoulders with these big poles, and the regular people, they had to stay a certain distance away from the Ark of the Covenant, and, and the reason it was so significant was because this box to the Israelites, represented the very presence 
of God. And where the ark went, God went. And if you didn't go with the ark, you weren't going with God. Where the ark was, God was. So imagine now Moses or Joshua has told the, the priest to grab the ark and move towards the river. So you're an Israelite, and, and you're out tending your sheep or cattle or whatever. They probably didn't have cattle back then. but um, So they're, they're doing their thing, and um, you look up, and you see this big procession with the priests carrying the ark towards the river. God's intent here was to communicate one big idea to the Israelites in this moment. It was this, point number one. You might want to write this down. First thing to remember when living out your faith is this. God is going ahead of us. God is going ahead of us. To the Israelites, this meant the ark is going ahead of us. God is going ahead of us. He's preparing the way. We're not doing this on our own. God is going ahead of us. Now, I want to unpack this because this is not uh, a cute little saying that we throw out to make ourselves feel better about the things that we're doing. This is reality. God really is going ahead of us, and he really is preparing the way. So let me unpack this for a little bit. Um, As I was uh, studying and preparing for this sermon, I came across a sermon by Joel Osteen, and it was called How God Goes Ahead of Us. So um, I was like, okay, um, I don't know how you feel about good old Joel, but I don't particularly agree with much of what he has to say. So I was like, either this is going to work really well for me, and I can use what he's saying in his sermon, in my sermon, or I can use it as a counterexample, and uh, the latter happened. So I didn't agree with much of anything that he had to say in the sermon, and here's why. It seemed like what he was saying was that God going ahead of us and preparing the way meant that success was simply going to fall into our laps without any work on our behalf. And that's simply not the case. You see, if you were to look at the Israelites and tell them, listen, guys, God is going before us, so when we get into the promised land, everything is just going to happen the way we think it's going to happen, and everything is going to work out, and it's going to be great. They, they would have laughed in your face, okay? Because for the Israelites... Entering into the promised land was only the beginning, right? That was not the end for them. There were about six or seven uh, people groups living there who shouldn't have been living there, and the Israelites had to go to war against those people for the next 20, 30, I don't know how long, decades, or not that long, um, two or three decades is what I meant to say. So they they went to war for a long time against these guys, and and it was rough, right? It wasn't easy. They had to fight, and there was blood and injuries and cold nights and hungry days. So, So this was not an easy task for them, and God going ahead of them didn't mean that success just fell into their lap. It meant that God guaranteed success as they worked towards what God had promised. And so in your life, God going ahead of you in the places where you want to live out your faith means that in the things that God wills for your life, and there are some that he promises to all believers, as you work to achieve those things, God is guaranteeing success. So examples. God wants you to have an incredible marriage. He wants you and your spouse to reflect the glory of Christ and the church. He wants you to have an incredible marriage. And God has promised that to you as a believer. And so as you work towards that, you can be confident that God has gone before you and he has prepared the way so that you will be successful as you work towards growing your marriage. God wants you to have your finances under control. He doesn't want you to be burdened by debt. He wants your kids to grow up and love Jesus. He wants you to be in church and serving and working to glorify his name. God wants these things for your life, and as you work towards fulfilling those promises, he has gone before you, and he has prepared the way. So practically, what does that look like? 
Uh, let's say that you go volunteer at Tanger in a couple weeks. We're going there, and uh, we're going to serve just like Pastor Ricky said. And, and so you're there, and you're serving, you're doing your thing, and you, um, you look across, and you see somebody just standing around talking, and you feel this little um, random desire inside of you to go and invite them to church. Okay? That's probably God telling you to go invite that person to a practice service, or maybe September the 7th or something. So, so God is willing that that person would be at our church. And so you get up. You go invite them, believing that God has gone before you and prepared the way. You say, hey, uh, we're launching this church. Maybe you've seen our shirts. We're up here volunteering. Uh, you've probably never been to church in a movie theater before. You should come check it out, whatever your, your spiel is. And they look at you, and they go, you know what? I just saw your banner. I was just thinking about your church and thinking about going to your website. I will definitely be there. Thank you for the invitation. You don't think that God set that up? You don't think God had that plan beforehand and he went before you and prepared the way so that they would see the signs, so that they would think about the church, they would hear somebody talking about it. God went before you and prepared the way so that you would be successful in the things that he wills. And it doesn't mean that it's going to fall into your lap, but what it does mean is that as you steward your faith well and you put action with your faith, God is guaranteeing success. And those things. And that is what it meant for the Israelites. It didn't mean that it was going to be easy, but it meant that God was preparing the way. So we're back in Joshua chapter 3 now. We've jumped back into the story. Um, the Ark of the Covenant is going towards uh, the Jordan River. Uh, everybody is like freaking out. No one really knows what's going on. They're like, the Ark is moving. Where are we going? What are we doing? People are running through the camp telling people to get up and go. God's going. We're going. So uh, we pick it up in uh, Joshua chapter 3 verse 7. And God is giving some more instructions to Joshua. And here's what he says. Uh, the Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let's pause here. God is about to speak, okay? God is about to give some real specific instructions. So we would assume that uh, after God speaks, we should be more comfortable, right? We should have less anxiety and we should uh, have, there should be less risk and less fear and less uncertainty involved, right? We would, we would assume that. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. What? Take a few steps into the river. God, you know we've got a giant gold-plated box over our shoulders, right? Yeah, I want you to step into the river. This is insane. This, this increased the risk. This increased the fear. This increased the uncertainty. So we read on uh, verse 9. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. I think that's hilarious that he says the Lord your God. Usually he says my God, but this is like uh, when, when your kid does something stupid and you're telling your spouse, you're like, listen to what your kid did. Right? This is kind of what's going on here, I think. Uh, verse 10. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. You have no idea how long I practiced those names. Uh, verse 11, uh, look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from among the tribes, um, one, or from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So Joshua is saying, they're going to go towards the river. They're going to put their feet in the river. But as soon as their feet touch the river, the water is going to stop, and it's going to stand up like a wall, and we are going to cross because God moved. Now, 
There was a time in the Old Testament before this where water stood up like a wall. Like, you remember the Red Sea? Like Moses at the Red Sea? Um, God told Moses, Moses, raise your staff. I'm going to split the sea open so you can escape from the Egyptians who were chasing them. So, so all Moses had to do was raise his staff and the water parted. But now God looks at Joshua, and Joshua was there for that, okay? He saw that happen. So maybe Joshua is approaching this river going, maybe all I'll have to do is lift a stick up, and it'll part. But God is saying, no, 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 no. You're done raising the staff now. It's time to take this a step further, literally a step further, into the river and watch your faith grow. So here's just the second thing that I want to give you right here. second thing to remember when living out your faith is this. Until I get my feet wet... My faith is dead. Until I get my feet wet, until you put your foot into that river and put some action with your faith, your faith is dead. You see, it would have been really easy for these guys to stand on the edge of the Jordan River with their arms crossed going, yeah, I believe God can stop the river. I believe he can do a miracle. I believe he's going to lead us into the promised land. I believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And God is going, really? Do you really believe it? Then put your foot in the water and put some action with your faith. Do you really believe that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do? Then get your feet wet. Do you really believe that God is going to do something amazing through Destination Church? And if you do, get your feet wet. And you guys have done an amazing job at this, okay? There are people in this room who truly and deeply believe that God is going to do something incredible through this church. And guess what? It shows through their investment. It shows with how wet their feet have gotten as they've stepped into that river. But there are others of us here who claim that God is going to do something great here, but we haven't gotten our feet wet. If you really believe that God can move and God can do miracles until you get your feet wet... Your faith is dead. Do you really believe that God can fix your marriage? Do you really believe that God can get your finances under control and allow uh, your work to begin to feel like worship? Do you really believe that God can do amazing things in your life? Then get your feet wet. But James, what if it doesn't work out, right? What, what, if, they, what if they don't respond the way I think they're going to? Or what if I trip and stumble again? What if, it, what if I start getting stressed out? James, I'm afraid it's just not going to work and I'm not certain of the results. And there's great risk involved here. Of course there is. You don't think the Israelites felt this way? You don't think they were freaking out when God said, put your foot in this roaring, raging, flooding river? Of course they were. Well, no, because God made them that promise, and if God would promise me things that way and that specifically, then I would, I would believe the way that they did. No, you wouldn't. All right, here's what I've found. Just because God gives us 100% reason to believe doesn't mean that we're going to believe 100%. That's just the way that we work, okay? We are always going to doubt. We're always going to have fear. We're always going to have uncertainty. But something has to happen within us, and we have to feel inspired to overcome that fear and that doubt and that risk and that uncertainty and simply put our foot in the water. So what has to change? What, what's, what's the difference maker that's got to happen if we are going to overcome this and get our feet wet? Here it is. I want to give you point number three. Um, they're starting a movie without us. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. April's got it under control. Okay, um, I'm going to try to go on. Is that, is that too distracting? Can we, can we finish? No, you guys got it. Y'all are smart. Um, now it's changing. This is great. What are we watching now? This is uh, The Fault in Our Stars. If this is our new, yeah, if y'all are going to play a projector, at least play what we want. Oh, come on. So, all right, I'm going to give you point number three now. Uh, point number three is this. 
without the risk, we don't stop the river. There's no way that I'm going to preach with this going on. I can see none of you are looking at me right now. All of you are looking at this screen. Um, It almost looks like we have our thing up there with theirs. That's good there. Uh, Anybody got any jokes? (laughs) Is this still going? All right. This is not our projector. Regal Cinema. What is that thing? It says, uh, how does it go? Like, um, a new paradigm in cinema experience. What? what, what? Cinedime? Is that what it is? Cinedime. Okay. Cinedime. A new paradigm in cinema. I don't know. What's this one right here? Y'all, this is just, I've never had anything like this happen before. Um, Popcorn. Mike Ikes. There it is. Maybe. And it's not it. Okay. You know what? I'm going to keep going. You guys have got to focus. Dear Jesus, please help us focus. Amen. All right. Point number three is this. Without the risk, we don't stop the river. Without the risk, we don't stop the river. You see, the Israelites knew that there was going to be fear, and there was going to be risk, and there was going to be uncertainty when they put their foot into that water. But they knew that without the risk, there's nothing incredible about the miracle. That risk is what makes miracles magnificent. And, and without the risk of it, there's nothing really important about the miracle. So, so listen to how this story ends, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. Verse 14 says this. This is the end of the story. They, they start moving forward. Um, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Uh, but as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathon, if you were wondering. Uh, And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. In verse 17, I want you to imagine this in your head as we read it. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. This is incredible, right? Can't you just picture the scene, right? The priests are standing there, they're carrying the Ark, and just these million people just passing by, looking at the walls of water, just amazed at the miracle that just took place. But here's the point that I want to make. People walk across dry riverbeds every day. There are rivers in Africa that dry up seasonally, and people and animals walk across them, and nobody freaks out. Why? Because there's no risk. There's no risk involved in that because they know it's just not a big deal. But this miracle was incredible because of the risk that was involved. And without the risk, we don't stop the river. And here's why this is so important to you as I close There are some of you here today, you've got things going on in your life that you need God to change. You need God to move. And you're wondering why God isn't moving, and you're wondering why God isn't working. And God is saying, do you really believe that I can fix this? And if your answer is yes, then you've got to believe that he's prepared the way. You've got to get your feet wet and believe that it's the fear and it's the risk and it's the uncertainty that is going to make the miracle in your life incredible as you begin to live out your faith. I know there's risk and I know there's fear and I know there's uncertainty, but here's what I know about those situations. The greater the fear, the greater the risk, the greater the uncertainty, the greater the miracle. And I am so excited for what God is going to do in your life as you begin to live this out, as you begin to get your feet wet and step into the river and live out the faith that God has given you and watch it 
grow. Will you pray with me? And then we'll close. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity. God, thank you for the people that are here. And God, thank you for the hearts that are here. God, thank you that you're moving in this crowd. And Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody here today that does not know you as their Savior, God, who is not a Christian, who does not profess you as Lord in their life, God, I pray that you would just grip their heart right now, that you would show them how much they need you, that you would make them aware of their sin in this moment right now, and that you would bless them with the first glimpses of faith that they've ever seen, that they may believe that you are the king, that you are risen and you are alive and you died to forgive their sins and give them a new life. And God, I pray in this moment right now that they would accept you as their savior and just tell you, God, that they believe in you and that they want to live their whole life for you. God, I pray for everyone else here who knows that they're saved, that as we begin to live out our faith in, in this church particularly, God, as we, uh, so to speak, cross that Jordan River of September the 7th, we would understand it's only the beginning, and there are days and days and days where our faith is going to be so difficult to live out. But God, I pray that you would bless us with the courage and bless us with the grace to live it out in the face of that fear and that risk, and that uncertainty. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing and how you're blessing us. And God, we believe that the best is yet to come. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.